Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome, ladies and germs, boils and ghouls, all the fans nationwide and countrywide. This is Talking Terror, and we welcome you back. Uh, this week, the ghoul will not be joining us, unfortunately, but we do have someone returning. And it's funny I should say this, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Who? Because as I was coming in tonight, I was walking into the Talking Terror studios already to do my work. And who should I see by the entrance of the studio but Nurse Johnson, looking weary for the wear, drinking a 40-ounce, smoking a Virginia Slim. She said, he's your problem now. She threw the cage to me, and guess what? He's back. The Mad Monkey, welcome back to the show. Hey there, horror family. It's been a while, but your Mad Monkey is back. I took some time off to spend some time with my family. We did a couple of small trips, including taking the King of Horror to a fun retro arcade where we hugged out for 12 straight hours. I shit you not, there was nothing like no time limit, buying a 24-hour pass to some old-school video game cabinets, and bring your own beer. But vacation time is over, and it's time to get back to work. So, this is Talking Terror's Monkey in a Straight Jacket, the Mad Monkey, broadcasting to you live via satellite or telephone from the Drunken Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic, where I am one of your horror hosts for this evening's episode of Talking Terror! That's right, bitches, I'm back. <laughs> He's got the energy up, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a good one. What is and he speaking of the monkey about? coming back, we have his text talk about tonight from 2010, Attack the Block. Directed by Joe Cornish. Not like Edgar Wright, like I said last week. I fucked up, and I thought it was Edgar Wright, but he is a producer, but it is Joe Cornish. So thank you for the pick, and we're going to get to it. But we also have The Doc returning after a week absence. Welcome back. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I am truly sorry to have had to have missed last week's show, even though it was my pick. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm sorry about that, but I'm glad to, to be here for the the so-called triumphant return of the monkey uh, to discuss it this evening. Uh, so, so good evening to all. Don't call it a comeback, as they say. Because <laughs> I never left. <laughs> <laughs> Been here for years. But yes, we're glad to have. I'm glad to have both of you guys back. Last week it was just Google and myself discussing Green Room. We managed to stumble through that, uh, but we are back with a new episode of Attack the Block. So. Uh, as we kick it off, as we always do, there is hard news. Uh, Doc, uh, do you have anything you want to talk about before the monkey uh, has some things he wants to drop? Aside from poop. Yes. <laughs> so, I feel the big news of the day uh, to get to right off the top, uh, and I feel that if you are listening to our show, uh, whether now live or going to be listening to it later, uh, you must be keeping your eyes on what's going on in the world of horror because I think one of the most important things for us to talk about at this time is uh, the official trailer number two uh, that was released today for the upcoming Halloween uh, continuation uh, that's coming this October. Uh, 
So I'm assuming both of you gentlemen had an opportunity to view today's trailer. Indeed. Yes, I did. All right, so what are your yes, thoughts? Well, what I'm, do you so, think about so, I'm, I'm so glad that you guys saw it, and your answers were also uh, enthusiastic. Monkey, what did you think about today's Halloween trailer? Go ahead, Monkey. Uh, it, it actually got me more excited. It threw me off, though, that, you know, how it was really, ta- in my opinion, really tapping into the first movie of what we got to see this time in the trailer. It, you know, and this this particular trailer got me more excited to watch this movie than the first trailer did. The first tra- the first trailer was a lot of setup, you know, of what we are going to try and approach. But at the same time, I felt like we didn't need that. We just needed to see, you know, Michael's getting ready to go on a rampage. Let's have some fun with it. And I, I'm excited about this trailer. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, excellent. Now, what do you think, Doc? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and have to say the same, man. Uh, you know, I was really looking forward to when the first trailer was released and that kind of, you know, started to feel a little excited for this film. And after watching today's trailer, uh, I am more excited for it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to, you know, get a little excited for this film. Uh, I'm starting to feel some anticipation and I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, all we can go by is what they've told us and what they've shown us. And I'm liking what I've heard and I'm liking what I've seen so far. Uh, today's trailer uh, gave us, I feel a little bit more of a glimpse of where Laurie Strode is at this time. I hope in the movie, uh, it's my hope that, uh, you know, she's made seen in her community by the, by the broader population is some kind of kook or loon on the outskirts of the community which you get that sense from the way the sheriff interacts with her and everything. And obviously from her house, that's kind of uh, set up like some kind of protected fortress. But I would imagine Mm -hmm. people live in the town, look at that crazy lady and be like, that lady's a loon out there on the outskirts. So I'm hoping there's more of that played up. Uh, But, you know, there was some, some really cool stuff in this trailer, you know, Uh, you know, it got me, it got me more excited. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm, 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 I'm not ready to go say, so much is that I'm all in yet, but but this is what I'm really looking forward to right now. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. Um, yeah, King, I what do you it, think? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I got more excited like you, uh, gents. Uh, it did. Uh, it was interesting. It was a good trailer. Um, I did like the opening tracking shot uh, from over the shoulder of Michael going from the street to the back of the houses and quickly dispatching two people uh, with various instruments. Uh, there was a really nice Mrs. Elrod reference. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Halloween. Oh, hell yeah, there was. One. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there was. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It was good. Yeah, girls really in hair. <laughs> yeah, girl was in the hair, and she was cutting up a ham to make a sandwich, presumably for Mr. Elrod. So it was kind of cool to see that. Um, I did like more of Michael in this trailer. Uh, they do the classic Michael Myers setup, which I was so hoping that it was going to be in this movie, and it's confirmed that they're going to do the classic Michael sitting up after he's been knocked down. Um, Nick Castle actually said, if you watch that trailer, the first time Laurie sees Michael, that's him. That's his cameo. So if you go back and watch the trailer, uh, that is Nick Castle in his one cameo in the film uh, when Laurie first sees Michael uh, in Haddonfield. So it's kind of interesting to see that. There's also an international trailer that dropped, too. Uh, I have not had a chance to watch it, but it does include more footage. So if you guys have a chance to check out the international trailer, there is more footage that was not seen in trailer two that dropped today. So 
I'm interested in checking that out as well. But I don't know if I want to. I kind of feel like I want to wait on that one because, you know, I've got to let this one settle, and I don't want too much. I don't want too much revealed, and I want too much ruined. Like, I feel like I've seen enough just to whet the appetite. I don't know what you guys think. I think that Sorry, I dog. just pushed play right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I just don't want too much ruined. That's the thing. You know, my, my appetite is hungry for this movie. So I don't want to have too no. much where I just I know what's coming. Yeah, and I, I was enjoying this trailer just because, again, as opposed to the first one where we're showing a lot of the institution and, the, you know, the, the people that are doing the biography of Michael Myers – this was just showing old school Michael Myers hanging out in the neighborhood. So shots, like I really enjoyed that one shot of the tree covering his face. But you know he had just gotten out. You know it, mm-hmm. there was a lot. There was a lot of shots in here that made me feel real comfortable because they were definitely you know going back to the day to the first Halloween movie. Yeah, including the uh, Judith Myers gravestone in the uh, the cemetery, which I thought was a great touch to show that they're going to include that, that he actually did kill his sister, and that headstone is back where it belongs in the cemetery. Um, and like the, the, the monkey had said, that great shot of Michael in the, the uh, white garb from Smith's Grove standing behind a tree. You can't see his face, but he's there. Uh, so it was a lot more Michael and a little bit of, of Laurie, but I kind of agree with Doc. I kind of hope that they show Laurie as some kind of a kook in the town. Like, you don't want to mess around with Laurie Strode. She's the crazy person that thinks that Michael's coming back. Yeah, stay away. Um, stay away from the Strode house, man. Yeah, it's like the Myers house in the original film. Stay away from that house. It's haunted. It's spooky. It's the same thing with Lori's house. It's set in the woods. It's all protected. I like how she was telling her her daughter, Karen, you don't even have a security system. Like, she's just nuts, but for the right reasons, like Loomis. You know, knowing that evil is coming some way, somehow. Yeah, and again, though, it's like I'm just so upset that, you know, we're not going to have a 100% solid uh, solid Loomis character in this movie. You know, it's uh, uh, like, I, I know we're supposed to like have the protege. Is that what the storyline is? Uh, not a protege, but a Loomis type character uh, who's a doctor at the hospital looking after Michael. Um, presumably because they're going to go with the line that Loomis died, I guess, not too long after Michael got reinstitutionalized. And that's why the character's written out, not just because Donald Pleasance is dead, but because they kind of want to move away from the character. You know, and kind of explain why yeah. he's not around anymore. Yeah, okay. I'm just hoping that they actually deliver with the whole Laurie Strode versus Michael Myers thing. I'm just Absolutely. hoping they, they do it and make it solid. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, sorry, Doc. What were you going to say? I was going to say that I just watched the international trailer. How was and it? And I, I, I strongly suggest you guys take a look. Uh, most every uh, most every piece of footage that's used has been footage that's been used in the first two trailers. They just have it kind of reorganized in a different fashion, in a different order. There is some additional stuff that was not in the first two American trailers, but, dude, international trailers, pretty fucking baller. Say it right now. Wow, baller status. <laughs> okay, well, like I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to end up watching it anyway because I'm a, a glutton for punishment. Uh, but if you're saying it's a ball of status, that makes no sense. Why, why does that make you a glutton for punishment? There's nothing to be punished about there in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, hey, you just get worried I, about too much being ruined, too much being there's killed. Not, there's, not, there's nothing. Look, 
what else is there? There's going to be some secret revelations aside from the fact that Michael Myers tried to kill Laurie Strode and 40 years later he breaks out and tries to kill her again? I mean, it's not rocket science we're talking about. Uh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you that there is nothing additional. There's nothing that's going to be like, oh, now I know too much. Uh, It's just kind of presented in a different fashion. And uh, the international trailer was really fucking cool. All right, I could go with that. So I'm definitely be following up with that. Um, so all right, so moving away from the Halloween trailer, uh, what else do you have for us, Doc? Well, because I always seem to have a whole collection of shit that I want to talk about. I know that you said, uh, is there anything I want to talk about before some things that the monkey is excited about? So I want to offer this opportunity for the monkey to present anything that I want to talk about. Present yourself, monkey. Well, I've got two pieces that I want to cover. Um, one is, let's see here. Okay. Doc, you're the same age as me, or you're, I'm sorry, you, yes. I'm you, me, and the ruler are all about this. <laughs> okay, so, so you're a year younger than me. All right, but you, me, and the ghoul all grew up in the same time period of the 90s and video gaming and when video gaming, um, radio I didn't grow up in the well, you were a little bit later, but but I'm just saying it's like we we were. It's, I'm just saying that we were there like when the codes were first getting established. All right, oh, and playing okay, those right. games. Um, but I just found out that the Nintendo Switch is for it's for the 25th anniversary of this game. The Nintendo Switch is going to be re-releasing the Sega CD horror game Night Trap. I love Night Trap. I'm a huge fan of that. Especially that cheesy song. Yeah, and this is, like, if you don't remember, Doc, this is a vampire Sega CD uh, live video game that you play where it was actually filmed with actresses. uh, uh, King, who was the actress? Dana Plato from Different Strokes. Yeah, Dana Dana Plato's in it, but um, this was one of those movies that helped establish the ratings getting in there because of vampires biting and there's blood and gore and shit like that. And parents were all pissed off because of this game. Um, and I'm just excited about this re-release just because of those of us that went, went around and did the old school gaming of all the stuff that started to cr- create the ratings of, you know, all of us playing shit like <clears throat> Mortal Kombat, Killer Instinct, you know, <laughs> and then Nintendo comes back with this classic. Never mind that that game was fucking impossible. I'm sorry. I, I tried to play yeah, that game so many times. Fucking impossible to be in every room at once to stop these vampiric people. And they didn't bite people. They had these uh, tools that wrapped around somebody's neck, and there was uh, needles in it, and they would distract the blood from the victims into these, like, guns that they had. And that's how they would drain the victims. <laughs> uh, so fucking cheesy. But they had that great night trap. Night trap. Watch out behind you, Night Trap. Like, you know, that, that fucking song. But I hope that this fucking gets some good attention because I think uh, kids today would love that game. It's cheesy, it's funny, weird, and difficult. Yeah, and I, I'm excited about it just because my kid actually has a Sega CD, and I've been trying to find retro games for him when I can for this system. And, man, the, the prices for an original Night Trap game are just fucking ridiculous. Just, just because they're just so rare, where people just aren't getting rid of them. What mm. the hell was that? <laughs> That's a motorcycle. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, Doc, yeah. do you have any recollection of Night Trap uh, from back in the day? Uh, yes and no. I have mm-hmm. no recollection whatsoever about playing this game uh, or seeing this game. The recollection that I do, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the name of the game was, uh, but if you were like, hey, Doc, do you remember when with video games they tried to create a game that was like kind of live action with real humans uh, and there was like a TV actress that took part in it, I would have been like, oh, yeah, Dana Plato. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember the context. I don't remember the context of the game. Uh, I don't remember the gameplay, but I remember the the video game that was like actual live action humans. Uh, and I know that it was starring Dana Plato. Um, I did not remember that it was called Night Trap. I don't recall ever having seen it or played it. Uh, but you know, I suppose that that's a cool thing that that's coming back around. Yeah. All right. So, Rocky, mm-hmm. your other news. Uh, one other news is again, it's video game related and horror related. Is <clears throat> coming out on all platforms. Is this awesome, kick-ass looking game based on H.P. Lovecraft called The Sinking City, and it's mm-hmm. a a survival light game where you're going around, you're trying to just get through, kind of like Bioshock kind of thing. Um, but you are essentially just trapped in a collection of H.P. Lovecraft stories. And it's all set at the time that the H.P. Lovecraft stories were written. So we're, we're talking, you know, early 1900s to 1920s through that timeline. And on our Facebook page, I put up a link for the trailer that I found that's just fun on its own to watch. Whether or not you're into video games or whether or not you are into H.P. Lovecraft, it's just this trailer is just a fun trailer to watch. It, I think it's very well written. Um, but it's, this game is going to be released by Frogware in March of next year. But they released a bunch of trailers at E3 just a little while ago. And, yeah, I, I'm excited about this game. It, it looks like it's going to be some fun shit to fuck with you. But yeah, it's going to be available on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Great. Hey, I mean, I'm not much of a gamer, but I do like when I hear that uh, more horror games are being released, especially anything with uh, HP Lovecraft. I think that there's a lot of material for there to be uh, video games based around his stories. I know that there's a couple out there. Uh, I've seen demos of them online, but uh, this seems like it's going to be a good one. I checked out the article you posted on Facebook, and the graphics looked amazing. Uh, so hopefully it's, it's going to be a hit, but it, it's hit or miss with H.P. Lovecraft. One of those things yeah. where like you have to kind of be a fan. You know, if you're not a fan, mm-hmm. hopefully it's a good shooter or, you know, whatever they're going to be aiming for. I think that'll be the biggest tell if it's going to be a hit or not. It, it looks like it's going to be a survival-type game where it's going to be lots of puzzle solving, that kind of stuff. It's not going to be straight up running around, you know, you know, blazing the hell out of stuff because that's not what H.P. Lovecraft is, is not going around just lighting everything up with bullets. So kind of Resident um, Evil, yeah. puzzles and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And my son is the one who found it, and he showed it to me, and I was excited because he was excited, and we're talking about a, a 12-year-old getting excited about a horror H.P. Lovecraft game. <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. All right, so that, that's something to look forward to next year in March. Uh, there was one other piece I know you wanted to talk about, Monkey, before we turn it back to Doc. So 
and I believe it has to do with a TV show that premiered last night that we both watched. Yeah, it did. Um, well, I wanted to bring this up just because I that? know. <laughs> That's his exciting one. What? Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Doc, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it or not, but last night was the world premiere on USA Network of The Purge, the television show. I saw nothing. The... <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. I see nothing. <laughs> like Colonel Clay was in the room. <laughs> no, no, but, uh, yeah, King, you had suggested it. You know, I, I was, you know, dismissive about it at first because I was just like, it's The Purge. You know, what, what the fuck are they going to do? But because you and I talked, and, mm-hmm. you know, and we had talked about how the original premise for this was is going to be it's about three main characters and their story arcs through this 10-episode event, okay? Mm-hmm. And th- that had personally put me off because, like we had talked about last night, you know, I thought this would have worked better as just a total anthology series. Yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah, of just random one-hour-long one episodes of just random stories about Purge Night. It didn't, like, you know, this was just my opinion, is it didn't have to, you know, be set at a specific time. It didn't have to be put from the point of view of a victim. It could have been from the point of view of someone just going out and purging. You know, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, you know, my idea was just go out there and just put tell a story, any story, at any time about Purge Night. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. was my idea. So, so you know, I'll, I was a bit dismissive and, you know, not quite sure. But, King, I've I got to say, man, after watching the first episode, yeah, it it's definitely got me hooked, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, I, I was excited to watch it last night myself, and I liked how they framed that first episode, having it take place in the, the hour and a half before the purge takes place. The 12-hour event that goes from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. where all crime, including murder, is legal. Uh, it was just cool mm-hmm. to have that setup of the characters that you're going to be following throughout this 10-episode series um, and having a little taste of the first moments of the purge. When the alarm goes yeah. off and you know that shit's going to go down, uh, having that little taste you know, before the episode ended of kind of what to expect uh, out of the 10 episodes. And that's what I really appreciate, too, is that it's only 10 episodes. You know, it's not 13, 14, 15 episodes. They have a story to tell, and they're going to wrap it up in 10. And I think that's the perfect amount of episodes to kind of do the purge, show everything they need to show, have these character story arcs, and then wrap it up. But uh, I know that since the, the doc hadn't had a chance to watch it yet, I wanted to get his opinion about the purge series as a whole, uh, if he's familiar with it and what he thinks about it, because I love the series as a whole. I think it's original, it's fun, campy, violent. I mean, it's everything that I could possibly want in a movie. So, Doc. yes, um, I knew that there was a Purge TV series, like, in the works and whatnot. I had no idea uh, that this debuted last night. I've just been kind of like, oh, there's going to be a Purge TV show. That's great for the people that like the Purge. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't see the TV show last night because I had no idea that it aired. And for no reason other than my, you know, ever 
my lifelong list of shit that I I want to watch that we'll never see. I haven't seen one movie in the third <laughs> series. Uh, you know, and I don't I don't say that I don't say that to be humorous. Uh, you know, it's just the truth. Um, they sound interesting to me. Some of them have sounded more interesting than others. Uh, many of my students are like, Mr. K, you got to see the purge. You got to see it. And, uh, you know, they all love it, but it's just something that I've never really gotten around to watching. So, uh, I'm not averse to it. Uh, I hope to find some time in my busy schedule to check some of it out at some point. But since I haven't, I, you know, it's something that I really don't have um, much to talk about because I have, uh, I know the basic premise, but I have a lack of familiarity with the content. Um, it's also right. one of those series, uh, since you're new to it, uh, Doc, and you haven't seen any of them yet, uh, when I meet somebody who hasn't seen any of the Purge movies, I always tell them, if you want to watch the first one, you can. Uh, it's an interesting film in itself, but really the, the, the action really kicks off with the second one, uh, The Purge Anarchy, then uh, Election Year, which is the third film, uh, where you really get to see the evolution of The Purge and what really happens in the city uh, with these roving gang members and things like that, killing people. The first one's very much just a one-location film. Uh, it's good. It's got Ethan Hawke in it. But like I said, if you want to see the true uh, side of the purge, uh, Anarchy and Electioneer are the ones that I would recommend to watch. And then follow it up with the purge. Yeah, the Electioneer one sounded, you know, most interesting to me, given the fucked climate that we live in right now. Uh, yes, but absolutely. you know, that's, that's, you know, I'm definitely hearing what you're saying and, and taking that, taking that advice to, you know, into, into my brain. And it's also interesting because I showed, uh, the monkey last night, my purge hat, uh, that I'd gotten for free from the purge website when, uh, purge, the, uh, the first purge came out, they released these hats that are red and it looks like the make America great again hats, but instead it says the first purge and on the back it says July 4th. So I don't wear it out in public because I don't want people to think. I'm yeah, people might mistake that shit and kick your ass, dude. Yeah, so they do. They I do. do not wear it out in public, but I do have yeah. a hat that says the first person on it. Looks like a Donald Trump hat. I don't wear it out in public because I don't want people thinking that I'm a supporter of his in any way, shape, or form. So it's just displayed in my house. But I want to back the king on this because, uh, like he said, even though I know you're a bit of a completionist and you like to do things in order, Doc, it's like you it, with this particular franchise of movies, you really can skip the first one altogether, and you just go straight to part two. It's like you can go back and watch the first one as just an, an episodic event, but it, it doesn't really tie into the mainstream of what's going on. No, the, the second and third connect, not the first one. So it's kind of yeah. cool to see the second and third connecting, not the first one. The first one's like a standalone, uh, and it's slow-paced, not a lot of action, but still a fun ride, but yeah, the second and third are the way to go. And, and the purge, it's one of those series. And I don't know if, if like monkey, you would agree, but I feel like it's one of those series that could go on forever. If they really wanted to, because there's so much to tell with what goes on that first purge night that you could literally make 10 movies if you wanted to out of this thing, you know? Yeah. And that's the great thing about this franchise is it really is so open. It's like, <clears throat> excuse me. It's like because we're we're not set to specific <clears throat> people's lifelines or you know characters that have you know died off and they they gotta come back in some freaky way or anything like you know the classic franchises this this has a you know a fun um, unique storyline to tell and it can be told at any time you know and yeah. that's that's what I was saying with the anthology idea is. 
you know, it can be from the time that the purge started to into the future because we don't know how long this goes. You know, it's like, but that's the beauty about the storyline is you can just sit there and just write another fun movie and just tap lightly into the overall story arc that these movies are starting to build. Yeah, I completely agree with that. All right, so do you have anything else uh, you wanted to bring up, Monkey, before I turn it back to the doc? No, let's let the doc have a turn. All right. All right, doc, so what else do you have for horror news? So I know back earlier this summer uh, we had talked about the King's favorite, uh, the Mr. Uh, what's his name? Uh, fucking uh, Joe, Bob, Joe Briggs. Bob Briggs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love him. And how earlier this summer he was going to be hosting one of his all-night marathons, and it was going to be the fond farewell. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of riding off into the sunset with the last major project, uh, aligned with that shutter hard movie service. Uh, do you remember when we had talked about that? I do with the last drive-in. It was a 24 hour live stream on shutter, uh, where Joe Bob Briggs is going to be providing commentary for, I think 12 or 13 different movies. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, so that it was. So when that aired, uh, back, I believe it was in July, uh, yes. apparently it was such a huge deal with Shudder uh, that their their service crashed and couldn't handle yep. uh, the amount of tune-in uh, that had taken place. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was massive. It was, it was a massive thing. So I didn't get a chance to see any of that, but as stated back then, uh, you know, his work is not something that I'm tremendously familiar with, uh, although... I do have a very dear friend and dear friend of the show who uh, recently became a Shutter subscriber, and she's going to be uh, passing her uh, login information along to me so I can check it out. Uh, apparently, uh, that was not the end because uh, there are not one, uh, there are not two, there are not, there are now three new projects on the horizons for Mr. Briggs. Uh, there are going to be. Uh, Two holiday specials this year in 2018. Uh, there is going to be a Thanksgiving-themed marathon episode airing Thursday, November 22nd, called Dinners of Death. And uh, okay. Friday, December 21st, there's going to be another uh, Joe Bob Briggs marathon that's going to be called A Very Joe Bob Christmas. Uh, both of these <laughs> scheduled to air on those dates in 2018. But I feel, and again, this is, you know, it's not big news to me, but it might be big news to some of you out there that are listening to us right now. In 2019, uh, there is going to be a yet untitled new continuous Joe Bob Briggs series aligned with Shudder. So a whole new series being developed for him for 2019. That is, I mean, for me, that's exciting news. I'm such a huge fan of Monster Vision and Joe Bob Briggs. Um, but I kind of had a feeling this wasn't going to be the end of Joe Bob Briggs, uh, especially with Shudder. Uh, seeing how successful that last drive-in was, I knew that it wasn't going to be the last time people were going to hear from Joe Bob. I had a feeling Shudder was going to see the success of that last drive-in and kind of try to offer him different things. And I'm surprised about the amount of projects uh, that are coming up with him uh, at the end of this year, then next year. I mean, that's, that's great news. It's great to see that, uh, you know, Joe Bob Briggs and his fandom is still very much alive uh, in 2018. Now we just yeah, got to bring so, back you. Now we just got to bring back USA up all night. 
Yeah, oh, I mean, look, and Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, uh, so that is what, uh, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, that's certainly, uh, you know, when we talk about some, you know, late night horror type shows, uh, USA Up All Night, uh, you know, was where, where I was at. I was a huge fan of USA Up All Night. And, you know, in this day and age of, uh, you know, streaming and, watching anything you want, whatever you want. Uh, you know, those old kind of, uh, those old kind of, kind of special series where you would like tune in and, you know, kind of like when you were a loser with no driver's license and nothing else to do late nights on the weekend, uh, you know, those were fucking fantastic. And I kind of missed that element. And, you know, that's a definitely something the way technology has gone. That's a thing of the past. Uh, something like that isn't really coming out because, uh, you know, at this day and age, you can watch, you can make a few keystrokes on your keyboard, and within a couple of minutes, you can pretty much be watching anything that's ever been created in the history of existence. Uh, yeah. So watching this weird shit that you'd never heard of that they would present on USA Up All Night, uh, you know, was awesome. Uh, and I missed that. Uh, but <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't know the Joe Bobrick stuff, but I was a huge fan of USA Up All Night. Oh yeah, Malibu bikini shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and that's uh, the doc brings up that good point. You know, of uh, up all night and Monster Vision and uh, horror hosts that are still around, like Sanguli on Saturday yes. nights on Meet TV. Uh, you know, introducing movies that you may have never heard of before, and just kind of wanting to check it out because it's something that you've never seen, and you kind of want to check it out. And you know, it's funny, and it's got the scary movies, and sometimes you have the sexy co-host. Uh, and it works, and it's a definite. Uh, I agree with the doc. I kind of miss those days of the horror host, like Elvira. I just want to take, yeah, totally. I just want to take a minute right now and just kind of shout out uh, some of the classic titles that were uh, shown on USA Up All Night. Uh, we're talking it. about, uh, as I'm looking at this list right now, some classic titles such as uh, a nymphoid barbarian in Dinosaur Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. I've seen that one. Hell comes to Frogtown. Oh, oh hell yeah. Right, yeah right I was a zombie for the FBI. Oh, never heard of that one. Vampire on Bikini Beach. Love it. Yeah, just, just shit like that, man. You know, like... <laughs> This shit out of nowhere that you never heard of before, and you're like fucking 12 years old, and and like this is what you're watching, you know, at, you know midnight on a Saturday, um, you know, like I miss that fun stuff, you know. Uh, I don't know that a 12 year old kid is gonna, you know, even know that a movie like Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death exists. You know, there's nobody yeah, being like, hey kid, check this out, you know, and nor is there like a. A, certain, a thing that he's watching with some host with her titties spilling out of her dress going, hey, little kid, you should watch Nymphoid Barbarians with Dinosaurs. Um, and you're like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> All right, but, but, but see, uh, on top of that, I'm sorry, no, uh, on top of that, Doc, it was awesome, though, when we would watch those movies, and then we would go to the video rental store and then stumble across, every once in a while, stumble across one of those movies that was actually on USA Up All Night, and then we talk our moms into getting it for us so we could watch the uncensored version. Oh, yeah. You had to watch the uncensored version. 
because that was the best part. <laughs> Being able to see the actual nudity in those movies. Yeah. Everything that was cut out. But yeah. 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 Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle, I remember that movie pretty well because that was with Bill Maher, <laughs> uh, who now hosts Real Time with Bill Maher. He was in that movie back in the early 90s. So I am very familiar with that one, surprisingly enough. But yeah. Classic titles uh, up all night, but Joe Bob Briggs was also doing Moto Hell at the time, Kingdom of the Spiders, a lot of other kind of rare movies from the 70s that you might not have heard of, like Frogs. Um, you know, so he was. Wait, on USA up all night? No, that was Monster Vision. Monster Vision with Joe uh, Bob Briggs. Monster Vision, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was doing more of the, the kind of mainstream 70s, 80s horror movies. Like I said, Moto Hell, Frogs, um, a couple of cannibal movies he did at the time. He did Return of the Living Dead. At one point, so he was doing a lot of the mainstream, but a lot of the obscure as well. Up All Night was mainly doing the, the kitschy kind of B-movie, uh, like the Cannibal Women of the Avocado Jungle, where it's just a bunch of girls. Yeah, look, up on, on, uh, you know, on USA Up All Night, too, you know, they didn't, they definitely didn't strict, uh, stick uh, strictly to the horror. Um, you know, they showed all kinds of stuff. Oh, like yeah. some, stuff yeah. cra- some stuff crazy off the beaten path, uh, you know, some stuff. Uh, you know, more, you know, mainstream type horror stuff. And then just like a lot of like spring break type bikini movies uh, with bikini chicks running around. Um, You know, they showed a lot of... What's that? (laughs) Hot bikini bikini patrol. patrol, Yeah, and hot dogs. Hot dogs. Ski patrol. Ski patrol was far superior to hot dog the movie. I actually saw ski patrol in the movie theater. Uh, Roger Reese, Martin Mull. Um, uh, what's the the, uh, the his, very famous Hispanic comedian uh, George Lopez was in that? Um, I know yeah, Ski Patrol very well. What's that? I think Dean Cameron from Summer School was in that movie. Ski no, Academy. Dean Cameron was in Hot Dog. Was in one. Of, uh, he was in another. He was in oh, okay. School. Maybe he was maybe in something called Ski yeah. School. Uh, uh, yeah, there was yeah. different. Uh, there was different movies with Ski in the title. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe that's what I was thinking of. Uh, compared to uh, compared to uh, Ski Patrol, uh, Hot Dog was a little bit earlier and a, le- a little bit more of like a like a sex movie, like a you know not, not yeah. a not a porn of yeah. course, yeah. Like a, you know a nineteen eighty style titty movie uh, where uh, you know Ski Patrol was just like kind of like a slapstick comedy as well as uh, Ski. I'm sorry, Ski Patrol. Same thing for Ski School, and they came out around the same time. But it's a, my opinion that Ski Patrol uh, is a superior movie. I think it came, might have come out like a year or two. But Ski Patrol might have come out like a year or two before Ski School. Um, and, you know, I've seen them both, but I've seen uh, Ski Patrol way more. Uh, way, very enjoyable movie. Very underrated movie. Uh, very underrated comedian from its time, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah, that was a great time for movies. They could just make a movie out of anything back in the 80s. Make it a teen sex comedy. Like the last American version, which you know, one of those movies I don't think enough people have heard about. But it's still I, one I mean, of my favorite. That's like a, that's like an early '80s. That's like a 1983. Uh, last American Virgin yeah. is definitely, I don't think, one that uh, is as unknown as you think about, uh, as you might think about from its time. Uh, that was, uh, I'm looking it up right now, 1982. Uh, you know, uh, not one of when people look back on the '80s and say, oh. You know, what are like the top 80s? And when I say teen movies, I don't mean like the John Hughes universe. Uh, yeah. You know, but the stuff that's a little bit more, um, you know, risque in its content, if you will. Right. Uh, Last American Virgin is 
definitely not one that's super unknown. Uh, there's a little bit more, uh, I don't know if fame is the right word, but there's a little bit more uh, knowledge about that one uh, than you might think. Uh, ones that when I think back uh, on that era, which I, you know, I know very well because you know, I was staying up watching that shit when I long should have been asleep. Uh, there was <laughs> one about uh, like, a, like a tennis team that maybe was called Jocks. Uh, that's one that I remember yeah. very well. Uh, Hamburger, the movie. Um, Hulk. Oh, man, it's been forever since I heard of that one. <laughs> Which one? Yeah. Which one? Hamburger. Hamburger, yeah, Hamburger the movie. Uh, <laughs> Hunk. Um, well, the, uh, then, you had the, then you had the John Ritter one. About school. The Stewardess School. Stewardess School. Stewardess School. Um, but... But then you had the John Ritter one about the glow-in-the-dark condom, and it was just an all-black cover, and it was something about on the front was, it's the comedy that glows in the dark or some shit. <laughs> John Ritter and a glow-in-the-dark glow in the dark condom. condom. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not sure about what that one. But uh, what was the one <laughs> with, like, uh, oh, shit. The plot was uh, maybe some old guys. Um, Cocoon. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh, hard bodies. Um, oh, yeah, that was the gym movie, right? Was, was that, that the one they were on the beach? beach? Beach bikinis. Yeah, beach bikinis. yeah, I'm, yeah. That's that's hard. But I'm thinking about that one where they had the, like the summer rental. Yeah, that was hard. Um, no, summer. See, that's what I'm. See, those are the ones I'm talking about. Like summer rental. That's like like 80s, like fun John Candy. I'm talking about like those 80s raunchy sex comedies. No, I thought uh, it was a hard you know, those, movie. I thought that was like a summer, yeah. like they had a, like a oh. summer rental. And that was like oh, just about summer and fucking hanging out. Oh, okay. no, I, 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 I apologize. I thought you were referencing yeah. the 80s movie Summer Rental with John Candy. Oh, no, no, no. That's not, no. yeah, that's not in what we're talking about, that realm. Mm-hmm. No, no, I thought, I thought that's what you were referencing. So I, I do apologize for that. No problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, then there were ones with, like, naked action chicks, like, hard ticket to Hawaii. Uh, and then there was, like, the transformation. There was, like, all those 80s kind of, like, body-switching movies, but there was also a bunch of, like, raunchy uh, – I referenced one a little while ago called Hunk, and that was one where uh, this, like, nerd uh, who, who, like, can't get laid to save his life, uh, and he's a total loser, and there's, like, a hot, sexy chick guardian angel that, like – transforms him into like a sexy guy that he gets all the chicks but loses his morality and then uh you know there's the the summer camp series of meatballs uh which meatballs uh you know the the first well the first movie is like an all-time summer classic the second one is just absurd with that stupid fucking alien but Mm -hmm. was it three or was it four where there's like a nerd played by patrick dency and then like uh sally cowman or uh sally kirkland that was uh, comes in Transforms him into like a like a hot desirable guy. That was Meatballs three. What? Yeah, that was three because she was a porn star trying to get into heaven, and she had yeah, to come, she, and yeah. she had to come back yeah. as an angel and help him get laid. So right, so she was teaching him how to talk to women and how to be with women and stuff like that. So, but she had to get him laid so that she could get to heaven. Yep. That's awesome that you have the plot synopsis of that because I totally, uh, I totally remember that one completely. I mean, yeah, I but yeah, man, uh, any yeah. any plot any plot you can think of from this shit, um, uh, that's what was going on with this kind of like 1981 to 1985 uh, era of like these kind of raunchy, 
these like stupid raunchy sex comedies, like rated R, like hard rated R sex comedies that you just kind of don't see anymore. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. Mean, they, I think they tried with American Pie back in the day, but it just didn't hit. It didn't land for me like it did with those eighties. Well, movies. you know, look, American Pie, uh, which is great, was definitely you know geared and again this is something and I, and I don't have a frame of reference on this so what I'm about to say I could be completely 100% wrong on because it was probably the same exact thing but when American Pie came out which I think was what 1998 right yeah. 1999 yeah. alright yeah, so like the late 90s. alright so uh, you know I'm in my early 20s saw it in the theater thought it was awesome uh, rated R, rated R sex comedy, awesome. Uh, you know, geared towards teenagers, awesome. Uh, you mm. know, when I, and when you watch that movie, you know, uh, it's a bunch of kids in in those roles. Uh, yeah. You know, I was I was not old enough to know anything about even if any of these movies that we're talking about had any kind of serious theatrical release or uh, advertising campaigns and who they were marketed to. But like when you look at some of those movies and you look at some of these, obviously that these teenage high school characters are played by like people in their mid thirties. Um, like, yeah. like, like truly like grown men. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if, you know, pro- those movies probably were marketed to teenagers also in the early 1980s. Uh, but I just feel like a different kind of vibe. And maybe it's because when I was watching that stuff when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, it was, you know, for the first time that I was seeing titties or some bush or what. And so it was like really, really, really something I was not supposed to be watching. There was like this element of doing something wrong and this element of danger, and this element of sex, and I had no idea what I was watching, but I liked it. Um, you know, that was obviously much different than when I saw American Pie when I'm like 23 or 24 or something, you know? Uh, mm. So it's kind of interesting dichotomy about how those kinds of movies change over the years. How did we get to this subject anyway? Oh, USA Up All Night. All right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we got in the 80s teen sex comedies from... <laughs> Up all night but seriously, like I spent, I spent my whole fucking young fucking adolescence watching this shit. Like, uh, you know, taping this shit with a VCR and a blank tape, and then like labeling it something else that I knew that <laughs> no one would else in my family would watch, but knowing that it was labeled wrong. Like, I taped Book Hamburger maybe. the movie, and uh, there might have been some other movie that I was allowed to watch that no one in my family in their right mind would ever watch, so I would label it wrong. Uh, so I would have it. So when I wanted to watch it, I could watch it. Um, I was doing shit like that all the time. You just labeled it three, two, one contact episodes. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that. (laughs) I really wish I could remember remember, uh, something that I might have labeled one of these films as, but I knew it was code uh, because the the two that I remember specifically was uh, Hamburger the movie and uh, there was one well, there were two. One was called Screwballs, and one was called uh, Stewardess School. One of them starred Donnie Most from Happy Days. I just don't remember if he was in Screwballs or Stewardess School, but that was one of the other ones. They might, and that and the hamburger movie were on the same VHS tape labeled wrong. <laughs> yeah, I did that many times mm. back in the day, too, mislabeling my VHS, mm. so it's not a big deal. It's like... Oh, look, that's just an episode of 321 Contact. That's because of the Zoom. 
<laughs> Nothing like Stewart okay. at School at Hot Dog the Movie. Researching. I'm researching right now. Stewart at School. Okay, Johnny Bosch okay. was in Stewart. <laughs> All, All right, right, but super quick, since we're talking about the 80s shit real quick, I'm just going to sit there and say I thought it was really cool because I was able to bring my son into the fold of the shit that we grew up in the 80s, and they brought back Double Dare on Nickelodeon. And, yeah, they, actually did a good, and, and they actually did a good job. They have a new host. They, have Mark, they brought back Mark Summers as the voice announcer, and it's actually pretty, it's actually pretty solid of comparing what we grew up with. Hell yeah, and and my, my and Ian, my youngest son, he, he fucking loved it, you know, and it made us feel younger too, watching it and watching these kids go through the stuff that they went through, you know, asking the questions back and forth, you know, of the dare, the double dare, take the physical challenge, and they're doing it all, man, and I just want to say it's like, you know, super quick, and I'm dropping it, is double dare is back, and they actually did a really good job with bringing it back. Yeah, I noticed Nickelodeon bringing a lot of their retro stuff back, uh, like Double Dare. They're bringing a lot of the Nicktoons from the early 90s back, like Rugrats and Hey Arnold, like shows like that that were on back in the early 90s. So they're trying to go for that retro kind of feel to bring back people that might have remembered it. I mean, I wish they would bring back shows like Salute Your Shorts, Guts, you know, those type of shows. <laughs> you know, I would love to watch them again. But it, it's, it's a retro Guts would, Guts would be awesome. Guts would be great. You know, American Gladiators, throw that back on. Wouldn't mind that being back. I used to love American Gladiators with those hunks like Blizzard and Thunder. And, laser. Uh, you know. Yeah, Blazer, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. But, uh, Doc, before we get into the movie, do you have anything you want to wrap up with horror news? Uh, yeah, but nah, man. It's nothing of, of consequence. We can, we can get going. All right. All right. So tonight it is The Monkey's Return. He brought us a movie, 2010's Attack the Block, directed by Joe Cornish. Take it away, monkey. What do you got for Shit, I'm outside smoking a cigarette, motherfucker. <laughs> well, get to it. I'm smoking yeah, a No, no, 100% professional here. All right. Okay. But we're back. And, yes, as the king said tonight, we are covering Attack the Block, which was released in 2011 and was written and directed by Joe Cornish, who didn't really do anything else. He, well, he wrote a bunch of other shit. That's true. <laughs> um, so he did do something. But Attack the Block is an English English film set on Guy Fawkes Night, or Bonfire Night, however you want to call it. For those of you who don't know what Guy Fawkes Night is, one, fucking watch me for Vendetta. <laughs> but, yeah. but two, it's a wonderful night in England full of fireworks, hijinks, and mayhem. Especially for one gang of inner city youth whose entire existence is about their block and their government housing apartment building called Wyndham Tower. That is until the fateful night when their piece of London is invaded from the sky. But invaded from what? Well, listen in, lads, because shit's about to get real fucking weird on Talking Terror. (laughs) (laughs) Tap the block. (laughs) Block, block, block. (laughs) Block, block. Stop building forever, man. (laughs) <laughs> no, but as as far as why I chose this movie, I chose it because this is one of my niece's favorite horror movies of all time. She l- fucking loves this movie just because she loves <clears throat> Joe Bo- Boega from <laughs> Star Wars. But she liked him in this movie before she liked him in Star Wars. And she had kept telling me over and over, you got to check out this movie. It's a 
It's a great neighborhood invasion film. It's just fun. You got to check it out. And this was my fifth attempt at trying to watch this movie. And wow, I finally no, yeah. It's like every time I try to get something popped up, probably got around to it. And I just had a really fun time watching this movie, and I hope you guys did too. All right, so let's find out. What do you think about Attack the Block, Doc? You know, I kind of had a little bit of a tough time with this one uh, because I did like it, but I feel that on all counts, I feel like it just, just, just missed on all counts. I thought that it could have, I liked the, uh, well, no, I didn't love the pacing, especially at the beginning, but I, that where it was trying to be funny, it could have been a little funnier. I felt there when it was like being gory, it could have been a little bit gorier. Um, I just felt like it was so close and, and just missed. And with that being said, I didn't dislike it. I enjoyed watching it, but I feel like this is one that, that just, it just could have been a little bit better. Uh, you know, and you know, I watched it last night and, you know, as I was watching it, you know, those were my thoughts. So that's, those are my initial feelings on, on uh, Attack the Box. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I, I originally seen this movie when it came out in theaters back in 2010. Um, there was a network called G4, uh, which reviewed video games and movies and, and anything about TV, and they had Edgar Wright uh, and John Boyega on to talk about this movie. Um, and I was interested because it's a cool sci-fi thing, um, and it takes place in the slums of, of South London, something that I wasn't familiar with at all. Um, but it was kind of cool going in and seeing how they portrayed aliens being these absolute black uh, alien creatures that glow blue in their mouths. And you have a set of kids uh, who have nobody else to protect them except themselves. So they have to arm up and they have to protect their block. So <clears throat> going back and watching it this time, I still appreciate the movie. I get exactly what the doc is saying in a lot of ways. Um, not one of my favorite movies. But it definitely, uh, it's it paced pretty well, I think. I think it, it doesn't really kind of slow down uh, very much. I mean, there are a couple moments in the movie where it does slow down a little bit. But otherwise, they have their foot on the gas, and they're, they're going forward. Um, and like I was talking about the monkey last night, you know, you kind of get that vibe of, like, the Goonies or Stranger Things, where it's kids in an environment where the adults can't protect them. They're the only resistance to this invasion which I really did appreciate. But what I did like most of all is that these kids are gang members. You know, they're not, you know, not necessarily not likable characters, but they're not good characters, you know, deep at heart. I mean, right when we kick off the movie, they're robbing a woman for all of her stuff. You know, they're not just sitting around going, man, I love living here. Oh, what's that, an alien? Oh, man. No, they're, they're doing <laughs> bad things, which I kind of, I wanted to kick it off with this, and that's what I wanted to find out from you guys did you like the fact that they were not necessarily good kids? They were just doing bad things in the neighborhood because they're products of their environment living in this uh, South ghetto kind of South London neighborhood. Ahead, you know, Doc. that was one of the, the issues uh, that I had taken with it from, from the start um, that when we're introduced uh, to these characters, uh, they are not likable they are despicable. And right. I know that that sets the tone for them to have their redemption 
and perhaps have their character turn, but I felt like that wasn't even something that got around till way too far into the movie. So right. when you have these characters as your protagonists, you have to be, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it's my opinion that there needs to be something that you're given at the start that tells you that they have some type of part that tells you that there's some good in there that, so you know that that's going to come out. These were unlikable characters uh, carrying on with despicable acts, maybe even more so when later on they reveal to, um, uh, you know, what's-her-face that, uh, that um, yeah, Sam, that they maybe wouldn't have even have jumped her if, if they knew that she was in the building. Uh, oh, man. So, yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. You know, so yes, we will get to that. But that that is something that, um, you know, that I was playing around with the different thoughts in my head as, you know, we were, it was revealed that, that these characters were the characters that were supposed to be our heroes because truly, uh, you know, once these characters did the mugging at the beginning of Sam, like, I truly thought that, uh, you know, with the with the crash of the the cocoon or the asteroid or whatever it was, that until I realized that that one character was John Boyega, that uh, you know it was going to be one of those cases where those characters were all going to get shredded right there in that scene by whatever the alien was. That they, that that scene was set up for them to be kind of punished for their actions by being savage by aliens. Yeah, that, that's a great point, and I mean I'll get there too when we go on with the gang, but I, I like that point, Doc, because um, I, I, I definitely uh, feel what you're saying with the whole redemption story, and I don't really feel like it's so much of a redemption story as it, it's just them protecting the neighborhood, but at no point did I ever kind of really get behind these characters, where I'm like, oh, right, yeah, you know, they're going to they're gonna make it, all of them are going to survive, you know, uh, so that was where I was coming from, so, Monty, uh, you know, where do you weigh in on this with these characters? Oh, yeah, see, me, it's like, all right, uh, started off with watching this, and we've got our gang that are hoodies. That's the name used for them in England, is a bunch of okay. underage hoodlums going around. They actually wear the the sweatshirts, and they pull the hoods over their heads. They they actually cover their faces, and they go around with things like knives and firecrackers and stuff like that. And because they're so good, uh, because of the gun control in England, they're actually considered threats, all right? Well, me personally, if I was hit up by a bunch of them, I would just beat the fuck out of them. But, but but they are considered actual threats in England, and they're called hoodies. And that's what they call the thugs or gang, you know, young gang members over there. But I never took this as this is our group of heroes. It's like, I... Because I, I, that's not the right word, alright? It's like, I want to say, like, the, instead, let's just call them the main characters, because on the flip side, it's like, you know, we're looking at, in my opinion, a toned-down version of a Clockwork Orange, where you know we have mm-hmm. Alex and his gang, and we follow them, and I personally liked them, all right. But they're not good people, like the doc said. You know, they're bad. They do a straight-up mugging. But again, like in a Clockwork Orange, you know, straight off the bat, you know, they're doing murders and rapes and stuff like that. But for some reason, we still like them, and this is. And I enjoyed 
watching this and this cast because the, these kids were closer to the age that were supposed to be the ages that were supposed to be in A Clockwork Orange. Not not, right. not the grown-ups that, that, that we got. So, so therefore, I was taking it and watching it kind of like, you know, flippy-floppy and just enjoying what I was seeing of them. Being pretty much ghetto kids and just trying to survive and getting by on their own. And as things progress, we will see why Moses is leading the life that he is, and he's got that his, his group with him. But I, but I love the fact that we have the entire group, the entire gang, and they are all part of the same block and all part of the same building, and that's what brings them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have that, that moment, uh, like you talked about with your description of the movie, where there is like uh, an alien crashing down into a couple of the cars when the gang is near there, um, and the alien runs out of the crashed car and runs off into this park area where it runs into kind of what it thinks is safety. And you know, the gang is just arming up, and they're just so excited because they found this fucking thing, and they're going to kill it because nobody fucks with the block. And they go in there and kill it, and now they're parading around with this body. Um, do you think that these other aliens that we get would have come down if they hadn't killed this creature? Or do you think that it was just an onslaught of an invasion on Guy Fox? What do you guys think? No, it, Go ahead, it was. <clears throat> sorry, clearing my throat. No, it, because as we sit there and see from the whole uh, nature specials and whatnot, they sent the queen down or the female. She was to go first and be out there and, you know, spread stuff out. And they were coming later to pollinate and procreate and take over the entire world. You know, that's why she went first. She was there as the bait and to make babies and all that kind of stuff all over the fucking planet. You know, that's that's why she went first. Mm-hmm. It, and then, you know, you know it's unexpected killing of it brought the rest. I guess they were coming either way, like you're saying. Yeah, it's like, you know, she was just the first wave to sit there and get set up base, and then they were coming afterwards. Doc, what do you um, think? Yeah, yeah, Doc. Yeah, I mean, look, same, same kind of thing, you know. Uh, when when they are parading around uh, with the, the, the corpse of the alien, if you will, if they kill it, like, you just know, because, again, I had thought that, from the get-go that things were ending badly for that gang in that opening scene. Uh, Once they started parading around with it, like you, I immediately, you know, that they're setting themselves up to be some kind of target. Um, Oh yeah. You know, without a doubt, you know, I had no doubt that that's what was going on there. Mm. And, you know, and it's, of course, you know, they, they kill it and they have it. And, you know, people are thinking that it's fake, that it's like a puppet. Um, and what do they do? Their first reaction is to go to Ron's, uh, which Ron, my favorite character for a lot of reasons, only because it's Nick Frost <laughs> from Shaun of the Dead. You know, this fat, lovable character that we don't get enough of, but I think it's enough for the movie. Like I say, we don't get enough of him, but at the same time, I think we do. Uh, just a great comedic role by Nick Frost, and this guy just wants to sit around and get high. Because at the time I saw this movie, I kind of thought that Ron was the boss. Because he has the, the apartment, he has the whole uh, weed den, but it's actually Hi-Hats who's the boss. And Hi-Hats is an interesting character. Um, I wanted to get your reaction of seeing Hi-Hats, you know, this guy who's overly confident, wants to sing his rap songs, wants to recruit Moses to sell weed, which is kind of like a big honor, I guess, 
you know, in this neighborhood. You know, if you get recruited by hi-hats, you're in the fucking business, which I kind of appreciated as a little subplot. Yeah, but it was it, getting employed by hi-hats means you were working your way up from normal thug of going around causing trouble, mugging people, just getting into shit, all right, to actually stepping up and doing real gangster shit, which is, right. you know, obviously a step up. You know, you're doing real shit. Well, right now, you know, even, even though <clears throat> Moses and his gang, you know, control the block, you know, and they think they control the block, it's like, you know, they're literally, they're literally bottom feeders. You know, when we have the shit hit, hit the car, you know, first thing they do, Moses does, is dive in and see if they can find some valuables in there because that's what they do. You know, they, they are literally the they are literally the bottom feeders of of the block. You know, but at the same time, they're still there to defend it and do their thing. But I want to backstep though real quick is when the female came down is I didn't take it so much as no one fucks with the block. I took it more of a, we actually have something we can fucking do, you know, <laughs> than just walk okay. around. It's like, right. you know, it's like some, something's happening. We can, you know, we actually got something to entertain us for five minutes. You know, let, let's go be badasses and let's go kill this thing. Cause we're fucking bored walking around. You know, that's how I took it. Yeah. I mean, that's it. What did you think about that doc? Uh, you know, it's not as much as a, protecting the block, but just having something to do other than walk around and kind of try to hope hi-hats hires you. I mean, maybe there's an element of that, but I feel like, uh, you know, there was such a big deal made about, you know, this is our block, nobody fucks with our block uh, kind of thing. You know, they were very kind of strong in their convictions about, uh, you know, defending their turf. And that's what I took it as. I thought it was uh, protecting their, their neighborhood. I mean, the, the monkey could be right, too. I mean, it could just be that they're bored I, and they have something better to do. But I don't know. I, think, yeah, I agree with both. I, I feel towards, uh, you know, towards the end, uh, as they were devising their plan to try and end it once and for all, I think maybe then, like, a bigger picture uh, was starting to develop, especially for the character of Moses. Um, oh, Absolutely. You know, that was larger than just their little, you know, piece of the city. Um, yeah. But from the get-go, like, I found it to be more about pr- protecting what was theirs. And maybe that, at the end of, like, towards the conclusion, was starting to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the one thing I find uh, interesting, you know, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, so I apologize, because that's, I don't want to go scene by scene necessarily. But um, there is a scene where the cops do come and arrest Moses based off of what Sam had told them about being robbed earlier. Uh, so he gets put into the police van, and he's going to be taken away to jail. But this is when the, the bigger aliens come down, the ones that we haven't seen just yet, uh, the ones that are absolutely the big, black. The big gorilla dog motherfuckers. <laughs> but I, I wanted to know, because I love the, the, the creature effects, because they're not necessarily black hairy creatures. They're absolute black. So when you put your hand mm-hmm. up to it, it kind of disappears into the, you know, the creature's backside. Um, so I wanted to, to find out from Doc, uh, what did you think about the bigger creatures? I thought it was kind of cool. Something that we had seen before. Um, they were the definitely kind of cool. And the, the, sequence, the sequence when, you know, Moses gets arrested isn't until around the 25-minute mark of the movie. Uh, yeah. And I, like, I, like I had said before that I had 
you know, some small issues with the pacing. Uh, I felt that it that it took 25 minutes to get to this point because I felt yeah. that it was in this sequence when Moses gets to, gets arrested that this me- movie really kind of came alive for me. Um, yeah. Oh, I agree. You know, it was. I feel like it was in this scene uh, we start to see something uh, other than criminal victim in a way start to develop between Moses and Sam, as well as the fact that I think that in this scene where these larger creatures are attacking the van was when some really true suspense was really starting to develop in that scene. Uh, I found that to be this whole sequence uh, with the van to be an exciting sequence. Uh, you know, I was kind of like, you know, getting close to, like, edge of my seat, was enjoying it, was into it, all the way until they crash into Hi-Hat's car under the tunnel. So this kind of uh, introduction to the larger creatures, uh, I felt like it was in that sequence to me, like I said, where this movie really started to click in for the things that I did enjoy it. I wish it didn't take 25 minutes to get there, especially because the getting there had to do with characters that potentially were unlikely. Right. And I agree with you there. Um, you know, it is at the 25 minute mark and that's where I completely agree with you, uh, doc. This is where the movie kind of picks up. Uh, it's like that moment on the roller coaster where you go over the crest and you're going on the downfall, um, where this movie kind of goes. Um, I do like what you had said in the, the underground kind of area where they're taking the police van with Sam and, and uh, Moses in it. Um, after the attack on the police officers, where Hi-Hat's car gets hit by them. At first he thinks it's a cop, but then he realizes that it's not. It's actually one of the gang members. Um, I can't remember who it was, Jerome or uh, Dennis, that was driving. I think it was Dennis that was driving the car at that point. But uh, it was Hi-Hat's uh, friend who hears the noise of an alien above, and they keep trying to tell him, fucking alien, man. They're like, you know, there's aliens, and we got to get out of here. And, of course, Hi-Hat doesn't believe him. <laughs> So Hi-Hat's associate goes to kind of see what the noise is about. He gets immediately dispatched in a great bloody way of his throat getting ripped out by this alien. Uh, I don't know why the guy didn't have a gun. I figured he would have kind of a weapon of some sort, especially being an associate of Hi-Hat. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get firearms in England? It's like the fact that I don't know. No, it's just... so it's so fucking hard to get firearms in England, and that's why it's so rare that for anyone to have a piece, you know. And if you have one, they're considered fucking golden. It's like that's why, you know, most everyone just carries knives or other weapons, like our like our crew does later. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, no. But at the same time, I will want to just backtrack for a minute here and just be like, all right, the first twenty five minutes, all right, yeah, they were slow. You know, it was, you know, quite enduring to get through. But at the same time, I thought it was important because those first 25 minutes set up that everything that you're watching is literally in a city block. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's setting up the environment, you know. And, yeah, it is tiring to get through. It's like they could have done it in a better way, in my opinion. But those first 25 minutes show you exactly where the entire movie is taking place you know, and it's necessary to understand that, yeah, in a place like London, something this big can happen in a place that small, you know, and what, yes, it was tiring, but at the same time, it was setting up the set. Yeah, I don't know if uh, tiring. Um, I mean, it definitely could have been a little bit tighter, 
because um, we do have that great chase sequence before the, the police van sequence of, of them on their bikes and on their, their scooters and things like that being chased. Um, so, I mean, there's a little bit of that. But, yeah, I could see why, like I said, what the doc was going with, how this is kind of where it picks up. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that Hi-Hat was kind of right for thinking that they're at fault, you know, for these alien creatures? Because it seems like he just blames them for what's happening. It's not just a random thing. He feels like, you know, you brought them here, and I'm blaming you, so I'm going to hunt you guys down, um, you know, and, and kill you guys. I, I, you know, I thought it was a funny angle, but I just couldn't see where he was coming from. I mean, look, he was an angry uh, stone drug dealer um, who had had some business dealings with uh, Moses that maybe from Hi-Hat's point of view were, were not appearing to go as planned. Uh, smoke weed, there's an element sometimes of paranoia, and you have all of this crazy stuff you can't explain happening, and a whole bunch of people screaming aliens in your face. Uh, you've seen your henchman's throat get ripped open by something. Uh, there's a lot of crazy shit going on, making this night unlike any other night in your neighborhood. Um, I don't know if, if Hi-Hat is, is really wrong in this particular situation, especially because uh, the gang is not doing what he said. They're running from him. They did total his car. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of things to potentially be angry about. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, <laughs> the stuff, you know, and we'll get to some of the other things, but like that sequence when they're yelling at each other in the garage after their cars hit and they're screaming about, say, aliens again, like that stuff was funny, but I just, like I said before, like I feel like that exchange, like that stuff could have been funnier. And when I was yeah, talking yep. about the gore, like it was a decent shot when the throat got ripped, but I feel like it could have been more. Like when I kept saying that at the start of the show, those are some of the, and I, I have one other thing, especially when it comes to comedic stuff that we'll get to when the time comes. But those are the things I was referring to when I said how it was close. It was super close for me, but didn't go all the way. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, it, in a lot of ways. Well, it yeah. was good. It was it was almost at that point of Samuel Jackson's, you know, in Pulp Fiction, you know, say what one more time, motherfucker. You know, it it was almost yeah. to that point. But yeah, like like the doc said, I can totally see because again, Hi Hat doesn't see any of what's going on, but it just seems like now every time something goes wrong, Moses is there. Moses is somehow involved with every throughout the entire night. Whenever something goes wrong for Hi-Hat, Moses is there. Yeah, and I want to get to that point, too, before we close out the conversation, because there is something to be said about that, and Moses himself brings it up at a certain point. Um, but what I want to kind of get into is, is after this goes down, uh, Pest, the annoying white uh, gang member in this group, uh, getting the oh, nasty bite from one of the aliens. I, I, I didn't like Pest at all. He just annoyed me. No, and, and his name was appropriate because he was a fucking Pest. <laughs> but um, he gets this nasty leg bite from an alien. They drag him inside Wyndham Tower, and they go and find Sam, who is in her apartment, and they break in, basically. Uh, and this is, again, to the Doc's point. Again, they're showing that they're not likable characters because they're forcibly entering this woman's apartment. She doesn't want them there. They're not giving her a choice. They find out that she's a nurse because of what they stole from her wallet, so they force her to fix up Pest's leg. She's telling these guys she needs to go to a hospital. He's going to bleed out if, I, if something doesn't happen. It's like, again, they're showing their true colors, especially when Pet says that, you know, we're the heroes. 
like, we saved you. You know, Moses killed one of them with a sword. Why don't you give us more respect? It's like, you, you guys don't deserve respect. And that's so interesting to see. That's what I wanted to get from you guys when they have this breaking into Sam's apartment. Right. But, go ahead, Muggy. Okay. Oh, oh, no, no, okay, no, I was just going to say is, all right, yeah, they're, they're definitely not the heroes. They're definitely anti-heroes. You know, and it's a thing of, uh, uh, again, Moses isn't caring about right or wrong. Moses is just taking care of his crew at this moment. Right. And, and he knows that he needs to heal up his crew. There's a nurse. And any other action movie, you know, if, if we're, you know, had, had it with, you know, Stallone or Seagal or anything like that, you know, would be like, you're going to fix my men. That's it. You know, no, no being nice about it. My men are hurt. You know medical shit. Fix my men. Right. Okay. And what did you think about it, Doc? When they went into her apartment? Yeah. Uh, you know, look, that, that again starts to become a turning point uh, with all of the characters uh, where, you know, that whole scene was put together in order to facilitate her kind of joining the team, if you will. Uh, you know, them, look, you become, you go into the medical field, you're going to be a nurse, a doctor, you know, you take that oath to, you know, fucking help people, and she's put in that position where you fuckers did all this shit to me, and I'm expected to help you, but you can see that, you know, she knows that she needs to try and help, uh, and then with everything going to hell all around them, she realizes that, like, she's safer with these guys, and not with them. So uh, again, that sequence, you know, is facilitated to to, to have her join the gang, you know, in a way. Yeah, well, and that's why I do like the, that scene of her uh, running out of her apartment. When she feels like she has a moment to get away, and she's running out of her apartment, you know, heading for the elevator. Then kind of has that moment of realizing that she is probably safer with these kids uh, than she would be on her own with these aliens attacking. Which you know, it doesn't necessarily does clear these guys. With <laughs> You know, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily clear these guys of what they've done, but it, it just it makes her feel like she's safer with the gang kids than she would be on her own. Um, I think that she would have been safer with Probs and Mayhem, the two little kids, because it seemed like they're fucking badasses in their own right. You know, love those little Let fuckers. Join the gang. <laughs> you know, come on, guys, they have weapons. Uh, you know, especially the super soaker that's not filled with water. That, you know, we'll get to. Um, but, yeah, it, it, that's the problem that I had is that Pest is going around saying that they're heroes because Moses killed a couple of the aliens and you should be thanking us. And it's like, why should I thank you? Like, at the beginning of this movie, you robbed me. I know that I'm with you, but it's only because of survival instinct. It's not because I want to be here with you guys. It's more about my own survival at that point. And it's not really discussed too much, but I think that's why Sam goes with them. I just enjoy I I just enjoyed Pest because later throughout the movie it's like he you know he starts to hit on her and stuff like that and like oh, I, yeah. I just enjoy I just enjoyed his character it's like because the whole thing of while they're hanging out later in the movie and he looks at her and he's like you're pretty fit you got a boyfriend it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah well where uh, is he <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah and and she's just a first year nurse and just trying to make ends meet. Um, I mean, I did like the Sam character. I know we haven't really talked about her much because she's not uh, a major character, but she's there. Um, I, I did appreciate the acting uh, from the actress that played Sam. Um, but this is one of the parts I wanted to talk about also is the, 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 I guess, 
it didn't necessarily drag the movie down for me, but it kind of felt like filler. Is when they go to the one girl's apartment <laughs> that's kind of interested in Moses. And they have this moment where they're all just kind of sitting around recuperating. Uh, the one girl's braiding the guy's hair, uh, Jerome's hair or Dennis's hair, just kind of sitting around. And the most interesting thing that I got from this scene is what Moses says. And this is something I wanted to bring up to the monkey because he knows a little bit more about England than I do. But it's where he talks about how this is the government sending aliens down to eradicate this particular part of London, to get rid of the gangs, because they're not doing it fast enough on their own. They're not killing each other fast enough on their own. So the government's kind of speeding up the process. So that's why I wanted to have Monkey, because you brought up something great last night, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I know where you're going, King. And, yeah, it's just because England, as a nation, has tried to do a lot to actually make up and, you know, for their past and, you know, make reprimands for it as, as far as, like, foreign aid and stuff like that, because England is one of those few countries that realizes they fuck over, you know, three-quarters of the world, you know, and they are trying to do their best with the, the small budget they have to say, I'm sorry, you know, and, but that being said, all right, <clears throat> London and Ireland and stuff like that are extremely racist. There's still a lot of racism going on in England. Despite what you see on BBC about everything's hunky-dory and stuff like that, there is still a huge amount of racism going on towards the blacks, towards the Jews, you know, towards quote-unquote travelers, which, you know, are my wife's people, the gypsies. Gypsies. There is still, yeah. Gypsies. There is still a huge amount of racism that exists in London, and despite what you will see on BBC and what they try to broadcast, yeah, it's still there. It's still in the street, and they want to talk about how London is a diversified city, you know, unto itself, and yes, it is, but it's still extremely segregated. It's great to go in to an Indian place to sit there and grab your, you know, grab yourself some Indian food, but, you know, but, but, you know, because, because you want to sit there and grab a quick bite, but no one will sit there and hang out with each other. And, yeah, for him to come out and be like, he's living in the ghetto. And, you know, to think this is not that far-fetched, you know, because, I, again, later on, this ties into, as Tess was talking to Sam and talking about her boyfriend, and he was, and she said, you know, talk, talking about how he's off in Africa taking care of kids in Africa. And Pest goes, well, what about taking care of the kids in London? Right. They still need help, too. And they do. They, you know, and Pest brings up a really good point, though, is why aren't you taking care of the kids at home? You know, and it's just, so for Moses to make that, you know, assessment, it's like, yeah, I could easily see where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And, and and I wanted to follow up with the doc too about that because I felt like it was such a kind of powerful thing to kind of have. I don't know how powerful, but uh, something really kind of interesting to put into this movie of having a, a character like Moses, the gang member, basically saying that you know maybe this is the government's fault because it it happens here too. Like you know it, we have a lot of bad areas in America, you know. So it's one of those things where if this happened in any kind of ghetto in America, 
I could see them blaming the government too and saying that maybe this is the government's fault. Maybe they just want to kill us off because they want to make America great again, like Trump always says. So we got a pretty way on aliens. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, John. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, for that stuff. I hear what you guys are saying. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get into it that deeply uh, for the socio. Uh, economical issues that might be going on in one country or area versus another. So um, really, I, I didn't get into the deep analysis of those. Mm. Um, yeah, it, just, it was an interesting thing. And I know, like I said, the doc knows more about uh, not doc, uh, the monkey knows more about England than I do. And it was kind of an interesting thing that he told me about because I didn't know that either. You know, I mean, I, I didn't. So it's kind of an interesting kind of uh, addition. Um, so in the scene where they're in this apartment with the girls and you have a great shot of all the aliens coming in through the window, uh, Dennis, uh, the one with the glasses, he gets B-fucking-headed. I loved it. It was oh, such yeah. a great kind of kooky 80s kind of effect when the alien just kind of bites down on his head through the helmet and then just pops it off like, like a gumball. Like, it was so cool. And it was also showing you that these kids aren't safe. You know, it's like, the, you know, if he could die, anybody could die. They've made it so far, but they're, they're not, you know. And that's why I really kind of appreciated it, that Dennis, uh, or Jerome, rather, I think. No, I, I can't. Dennis, I'm sorry. I keep getting it. So, uh, but what did you guys think about that effect? Of the, it's practical, obviously, but still good. Go ahead, Muggy. I said well, it first. I go. Say, okay. <laughs> All right. I, no, I was going to say, um, I, I like the effect, and I like the um, effect of this entire sequence. Again, like the king said, of showing that none of these kids are safe, you know, so that these kids are at harm. But I also like the fact that right before all this goes on, you know, the the kids are battle-hardened enough to know, I'm going to slap on a helmet and get some extra armor where I can before I start trying to fight these fuckers. You know, it's right. showing that they've actually been through some shit and have some battle reflexes, you know, and I enjoyed that. And then they start sitting there trying to whack at the, you know, the aliens. But again, we're starting to get a body count, and I'm enjoying the fact that, you know, no one's safe here. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Doc? Uh, you know, sa- same kind of thing. Yeah, like these guys weren't afraid to fucking fight, you know. Like, yeah, they were right. hesitant in the moment, but ultimately they went for it with all different kinds of weapons, uh, you know, but when you live in a area where it's probably a rough and tumble area and you kind of have to fight, uh, you know, those kinds of things could become kind of second nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was great because, like I said, you know, nobody's safe. Um, but again, it leads to them having to run to another area for safety. Um, the one gang member that we kind of glossed over is Biggs because he kind of runs for safety in the beginning of the movie into a dumpster. And that's where he <laughs> remains there for the entirety of the film. You know, while there's an alien outside, he's making all these phone calls to his mom, to anybody that he could reach out to. Um, it, it, to me, I could have cared less about that character. I, I hated the fact that they kept going back to him in a dumpster. <laughs> I forgot about him, to be honest. I just didn't really feel oh. like they needed to keep going back. I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree, too, that I, if you were, I feel comedically, if you're going to keep going back to him in that situation, it had to have been 
a little more frequent. That first time yeah. there was a very large gasp where when they did get back to it, I was like, oh, shit, that's right, that guy. Uh, and then once, <laughs> they go back to him, once they went back to him, they did go back a little bit more. But it was just one of those things where if you're going to do that, like you're, it's going to be like a, 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 a comic break to keep going back to him in the dumpster. But that, that gap that first time was, was too long for it to be effective. And sure, it sets the stage for, um, you know, what those little fuckers, uh, Probs and Mayhem, uh, to get their cred. It sets the stage for them to get their street cred. Uh, but I, I agree with you in that that first gap, uh, he became a forgotten character. He did. And I had the exact same reaction that you did, Doc. When they went back, I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. And I didn't even remember his name. I had to wait until the credits to remember what his name was. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, the guy with the afro. I was like, yeah, I don't remember his name. I had to wait until the credits rolled. It's like, oh, okay, that was big. Okay, all right, we got it. But it's just, they went back way too much. I did like when Probs and Mayhem go out and they kill the one alien by setting it on fire. And that kind of leads to them being uh, chased after by the cops and they run into the dumpster with Biggs. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they were, we're reunited with Probs, Biggs, and, and Mayhem. But I could have used a lot less without the cutscenes of him in the dumpster, especially when he's talking to his mom and he's apologizing, you know, doing all this stuff. It just didn't work. Well, okay, for me it worked just because, again, they they start turning into a tactical unit, okay, and Biggs became communications because it was his job to go around and, again, Moses gave him the job of use up your phone, call everyone you know, let them, let them know what's going on about the situation, tell them to stay locked in, and it was his job to go out and spread the, the word through his phone you know, to everyone, because again, like you said, it's the kids who are defending the block right now, and right. it was their job, and this was Big's job, to go out and get the word out as much as possible, going, stay at home, lock yourself in, you know, <clears throat> because he used his phone up all the way up until one minute left of time, left on his phone, you know, but mm-hmm. that was his job in the team, was communications, and to get the message out there that, yes, we're getting attacked by fucking aliens. Shit is getting really fucking weird. I'm not joking. It's fucking aliens. Just stay inside and lock up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I get the point of what you're saying with his character being communications. Um, Could have used a lot less without it, but, you know, obviously there was a reason to have those particular sequences. But it's the same thing with um, Ron and Bremis. Uh, the one top customer of High Hats, uh, the one kid with the curly hair, who just <laughs> ah, wants to get high and can't believe what the fuck is happening. Like, that is kind of who I related to in this movie. And I like that it was a very, very Shaun of the Dead-esque sequence with Ron and Bremis sitting <laughs> on the couch. And Ron just basically reassuring him that everything's going to be fine. As long as we stay here, we're cool. Let's just keep getting high and it's going to be fine. And it was a very Shaun of the Dead-esque uh, kind of scene. And I thought that was kind of like Edgar Wright kind of having that in there uh, to show it, that Ron just doesn't care. He doesn't believe in aliens, and they're not going to happen. But, of course, what does the gang do? They go back to Ron's because he has the weed room, which is fucking impressive. I don't know about you guys, but I love that weed room. It was just massive, all the plants everywhere. (laughs) And that's why I kind of thought that Ron should have been the boss and not hi-hats, but I felt like Ron just didn't want that responsibility. He just wanted to get high, so... You know, high hats could be the boss. Oh, but like I told you, it was, you know, Ron worked for high hat. 
growing the weeds, staying the place, selling the stuff, because Hi-Hats wasn't there all the time. He was off doing a bunch of other stuff as well, you know, for his, you know, little empire running the, running the block. This was just Ron's job, was occupying that flat and keeping it going. All the 19th floor penthouse, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and but like I said, I, I thought that Ron should have been bought. But what... Um, when they get into the weed room and they, uh, you have Bremis in there with them, you know, examining their clothes because it's uh, obviously kind of like a, a black light kind of a room. And you see the blood all over Moses' jacket, all over the kids' jackets. And you find out that this is why they're being targeted. It's not necessarily Moses who says they're after me because every time I'm around, they attack. It's the blood that's attracting these creatures. And I wanted to find out from you guys what did you think about that. I thought it was kind of cool. The fact that there is actually a reason why they're being targeted is because their blood of the aliens are coating their clothes. Go ahead, Doc. Well, yeah, I mean, look, there has to be there has to be a reason. I feel like, uh, you know, it's a good reason because then, you know, you have now these characters like Moses. They have to start looking inside themselves like, oh, shit, this is all happening because of us. This is our fault. Right. If we could have just well and left well enough alone at the beginning, uh, you know, maybe this wouldn't be raining down on our block or our building right now. But in all of our running to, to hide or to get away, we have just been bringing more and more destruction wherever right. we go, um, which obviously, you know, that leaves that leaves Moses at, at the upon the conclusion of the climax to have to uh, you know take up the mantle to be the one to save the day. I do want to just yeah. kind of backpedal a little bit when you were talking about Ron and Brois, um, because that was Brois was the character uh, that I wanted to talk about when I when I was talking about things sure. the comedy and and yeah. not going all the way. Uh, when we meet Brois, right? He's listening to his headphones. He's like listening to that's the sound of the police. Um, <laughs> yeah. We see him again at the, we see him again at the elevator. Uh, you know when the whole gang comes and surrounds him, and he's standing there scared, and they're all he's all oh, take the next one. Uh, we see him again after he finds his car totaled. We see him again when he, he accidentally gets hit in the face with a bat. Um, yep. <laughs> I feel that that character for that kind of comic relief. Like, every time that character was on the scene, like, something else, should, whether it was physical harm or not, something else, uh, some type of bad luck should have continued to happen to that character, comedically yes. speaking. Yeah. You know, when this movie is billing itself as being part comedy, like, that's the kind of stuff, comic repetition is something that is funny. You know, I just felt like those were, those were the, some of the other areas where there were just missed opportunities. Oh, I, I couldn't agree no, with you more. Point. Like, I, I love this character getting all this fucking shit put on him, you know, throughout the entire movie. He just wants to go to an after party. <laughs> he's ready. He's got his little bag. He's ready to leave. And he gets stuck in this situation. But at the same time, it's kind of weird. And I'll, I'll get to the monkey in a second about Bremis because he doesn't seem like an important character. Like, he just seems like he is the comic relief because all this bad shit starts happening to him. But if it wasn't for Bremis, they wouldn't realize that the blood on their clothes is actually attracting all these aliens. And if they change and get into clean clothes, the aliens aren't apt to go after them. So I think he's just that's trying what to get naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, go ahead, Monkey, because I wanted to get that aspect of that, because Brennan's, mm. as funny as he is, he's kind of important. He's, he's not No, he, he is, but up until we find out that it's the blood or the pheromones that are getting released, 
up until this point, it's like I had been watching it, and I was thinking maybe it was a baby they killed, and they were coming back. That's what I thought. And somehow, yeah. yeah, and I was thinking maybe they knew that Moses was the one that killed the baby. You know, that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking until, you know, uh, Remus comes in because he watches a lot of Discovery Channel shit or whatever. You know, he he watches a lot of BBC Planet Earth and, <laughs> and knows about the – the knows about the greatest the, thing to watch. Yes. Actually, it is a really awesome series to watch when you're fucked up. But, um, especially in HD. But, <laughs> but that being said, yeah, it's like, you know, so he knows this shit and he sits there and talks about it. And they, you know, do the examination and, you know, see that Moses is covered head to toe in the shit. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he also, you know, but then they also point out that the kids that died beforehand, the members of the gang, are also ones that touched and fucked around with it, which is why yeah. they're still, yeah, w- no, but that's also why they're still going after Biggs, who's in the dumpster, is because he was one of the ones that was fucking with it at the beginning, and that's why we still right. have, wa- that's why we still have one monster who's, you know, still trying to go after Biggs, you know, mm. you know, if he had just covered himself head to toe in mud, like Schwarzenegger, he'd be solid, you know, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, no, um, and, and this is yeah. Go ahead, monkey. No, no, go ahead, King. I was going to say, you know, I mean, it is an important character because she does have that information dump uh, that we talked about so many times on this show. You have that kind of bit of information dump, but this is the the point I wanted to get to in this scene as well. And this is what the doc had alluded to, and this is what I wanted to get to, is that Moses tries to kind of apologize to Sam for what they did at the beginning of the movie. And he says, honestly, if you had, we had known that you were a part of the block, we wouldn't have done that. And she's like, well, fuck you. And Pess is like, well, he's trying to apologize. And it's like, no, you're really not though, because that's not fair. Just because she's a part of the block, you wouldn't have done anything. So if she's not, you would have. So it's still keeping in line with what we had said at the start. These characters still aren't likable. They're still not characters that you really want to consider heroes even though they're doing heroic things. Right. But I wanted to get the doctor. You know, that was the, you know, that was one of the, the things that I had said from, from the get go is like, yes, these characters, they have a heroic turn and everything, but still, uh, you know, know, maybe Moses there is having a crisis of conscience and maybe him as a character is having his turn and, you know, is now trending likable, uh, you know, and maybe this whole experience is, will change his life. But, you know, all the, you know, his helpers, his henchmen around him, obviously are not having those same feelings. So it's like, you know, it was a gang that was not the easiest gang to root for uh, in this, which, you know, for all of its violence, you know, is, is supposed to be like a lighter, you know, a little bit of a lighter, fun horror. Right, right. Go ahead, Monkey. What were you going to say? No, but again, though, it's like I'm sitting there going back to it. It's like we're not supposed to 100% like these characters because, again, they're classic English hoodie, all right? And right. They're, doing, they're doing their bit through the neighborhood, and he's just saying, like, you know, if you were part of the block, we would have done that. It's just saying no matter what, he's still trying to do his bit to defend, unquote, you know, his block. You know, right. and it's it's all about his block. It's not good or bad. It's his block versus the world. You know, and that's the thing is like you know you you just 
Oh man. <laughs> Take it easy. No. No, it's just you know there, there's no right or wrong with it. This. Yeah. No. No, I'm just I'm just saying though. Oh, fuck it. Never mind. <laughs> well, sorry. You were well, saying what? Yeah. But, no, um, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just trying to say is though he's not a good guy. It's like he, he's no. never supposed to be considered no a good guy. Yeah, yeah. it's just, his only priority is to defend the block. You know, for better or for worse, that's it. Is that's his job. Well, and that's the thing I want to talk about too is when they come up with the final plan of how they're going to kill off these aliens once and for all from the block from Wyndham Tower, and that's to go to Moses' apartment. And set up all the gas, you know, all the gas in the ovens and everything like that, because they're going to go with the bangers, you know, their fireworks, <laughs> and they're going to set them off. You have that moment um, where Sam walks into his apartment. She's talking to him on the phone, and she walks into the bedroom, and you see that there's, you know, a kid blankets, like soccer balls and footballs and things like that. And she goes, do you have a little brother? No. And she's like, well, how old are you? And he goes, I'm 15. And she's like, oh, well, you just look so much older. And then she goes into this whole thing about who do you live with? Well, my uncle. You know, he comes and goes, but he goes more than he comes. So it's like they're trying kind of at the end of this movie to humanize Moses as really he's a victim of environment. And that's why he's a hoodie. That's why he does what he does, because he was left alone so much by his uncle that he doesn't have any kind of good influence in his life. Um, And that's what I wanted to get from you is because I, I still didn't feel like it kind of uh, heroically kind of portrays Moses. He's still a bad character, in my opinion. No, and I agree with you, man. It's like, again, it's just solidifying, you know, that he's an anti-hero through and through. It's yeah. like he he's not a good guy. He's just a product of his environment, and he's just there to do what he has to do with the block. It's like not good, not bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and Doc, what did you think about that? That whole the one that the uncle and he's only fifteen. You know, did it have any effect on you as far as what you thought about him towards the end? No, the uh, when I was fifteen, I actually chuckled. I was like, right? <laughs> yeah, on, I know. He's definitely not Spider Man. What is this? A sex, what is this? A sex comedy from nineteen eighty three where the sixteen year old is paid <laughs> by someone that's thirty seven? Uh, hamburger the movie. So, uh, yeah. Um, fuck. I oh, shit. Uh, I can't think of the name of the actor from in that fucking movie. But anyway, um, you know, again, I yes, there was the mo- oh here, give him the give her the ring back. Blah blah blah. We were wrong, whatever. But still, uh, you know, uh, that was that character like trying to turn. Like uh, it was enough from the movie where I don't know that I could fully get behind it. You know, um, right. I don't know. Like I, I had, I, like I had said, you know, these are all things that add up to my my general thoughts about the movie was that it was enjoyable. Uh, it was close, but it just it wasn't close enough. Like I just, like I said, I just feel like it missed in a lot of areas just by a tiny little bit, and that's one of the areas to me where it where it missed. Yeah, it just it seemed like they were trying to kind of throw that out there. You know, like I, I keep saying, victim of his environment, because I think that's what a lot of, of kids that whether they're in England as hoodies or whether they're here in America in gangs, I feel like that's the whole thing is that, you know, they're victims of their environment. They grow up in the ghetto and that's eventually what they become. They become drug dealers, they become hoodlums. And I think that's what they were trying to say about Moses. 
and not the rest of them. But, you know, it's, we're trying at the last-ditch effort to get you behind Moses as the hero, as the likable character, as the guy you should be getting behind. And I never felt it the entire time. I like John Boyega in this movie. Don't get me wrong. He's a great actor in the role. But as a character, I still wasn't rooting for him at all. I kind of thought that he was going to die. I thought he was going to sacrifice himself, uh, especially when the explosions go off. I thought that was it. I thought that was going to be the last that you see of his character. Uh, It's not, because when the explosion goes off and everybody's downstairs and they're looking at it, thinking that it was going to be the end, but you see that he kind of grabbed on to the balcony at the end and he's hanging on. The biggest missed opportunity, I don't know if you guys got it, because they have a unit jack flag hanging from the balcony. I kind of wanted him to grab it and just start fucking waving it around going, England, like, you know, and just start fucking waving it and getting all excited. Never happened. And I felt like that was the biggest missed opportunity, just to have this crowd erupt in cheers, you know, for this kid. Because he just destroyed all these aliens. Right, but at the same time, though, it's not about all of England. It's about, that. that's the thing, is this movie is just about the block. That's all South this London. movie is. It's, yeah, it's not about, it's not even all about South London. It's literally just about the block, you know, and mm-hmm. that's his only priority. And, you know, yeah, you know, I, you know, I totally agree with you where it's like it would have been a fun shot, you know, staring into crowd roaring and stuff like that, but it's, same time, we're still going to get that in a minute. Oh, yeah. Oh, we are. And Tim, we'll get to it because I have a lot to say about that, too. Uh, but, Doc, what did you think? Did you think that Moses should have died in that explosion? Do you think that would have been a great way to kind of end that character's story arc in this movie? Or do you think he should have survived like he did? Hello, Clarice. Doc? Doc? I'm sorry. Say that again. Uh, with Moses, when he goes into the apartment, he sets off the fireworks, which essentially causes the explosion. Do you think he should have died in that explosion, or did you like the fact that he did survive uh, by hanging on to the no, balcony? No, uh, uh, you know this. The that, that's a hard to say, man. This whole this whole movie, uh, you know, was not at all set up to have the vibe that you know the main character was going to die. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to say, oh, should he have or should he not have? Uh, you know, like I said, uh, yeah, some of the main characters got killed because that's what happens in these kinds of movies. But this, like I said, this, is a, this was a lighter horror movie that was supposed to be fun and also have some horror and some, some comedy. Uh, you know, I don't think that this is a situation necessary where you have to have your main character die. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, going into the finale when Moses does survive and he manages to climb down the, uh, from the balcony you have everybody getting arrested you have all the gang getting arrested including Ron and Bremis and I love Ron like being led away and all the crowd snapping pictures and you see all these guys getting led away in cuffs you know it, it's one of those things where it, do, are the cops clueless as to what happened like did they think that this gang just decided to blow up the block or did they know that there was actually a threat? Because it seemed like they were just blaming the gang for everything that happened. Yeah, but then then Sam comes and is like, no, that's not what happened, you know. And I, you know, I think ultimately what's going to happen there between uh, the people all cheering for Moses and you know them having you know Sam the eyewitness, you know, that's going to be enough where I feel ultimately they're gonna they're they're gonna they're gonna get off. You know, it's just kind of the sense I got at the end 
Um, especially when they had the scene where Sam came and was like, no, they, they protected us. Oh, yeah. See, to me, I, I hated that. And I wanted to get the monkey's opinion on that because I hated that sequence when the cops are questioning her and she's like, no, no, they're heroes. You know, they, they saved the block and, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. You shouldn't be arresting them at all. I don't know. I mean, I know that she's been with them the entire time, but I, I don't know. It just, you reported them at the beginning of the movie for robbing you, and now all of a sudden you're like, no, 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 hey, they didn't do anything wrong. Like, no, they still robbed you. Like, you, you, they still tried to steal from you. So in a way, I don't know. Monkey, what do you think about her kind of flipping it around and saying that they're heroes and not villains? <laughs> to, to me, it was, this whole moment wasn't about her saying the whole thing about, you know, they did nothing wrong. They actually helped me. They protected me. Yeah. The whole scene was about her acknowledging Moses and the other kids from the, the gang as neighbors and saying we live together in the same block. And it was her just saying, yeah, I know them. They're fine. We're neighbors. It's like her. And it's because earlier she said she wanted to move out. She didn't want to be part of the neighborhood. She didn't like the neighborhood. And we had the whole tussle between you know, small tussle between her and Moses about, you know, what's wrong with the neighborhood because, again, he's trying to defend this because that's his whole world. And it's her finally stepping in going, I'm part of that world too, and he's my neighbor, and I see him as my neighbor. Mm. Um, And this is a weird thing, and I want to, before we get into the whole cheering thing, which I I like but I didn't like, the one little thing I want to interject is that with this whole scene at the end, where Sam is kind of vindicating these guys and saying that they're heroes and he didn't do anything wrong. I kind of got a Candyman vibe. Uh, the original Candyman, I don't know how familiar you guys are with that movie, but you have Cabrini Green, a ghetto in Chicago, uh, Virginia Madsen uh, playing Helen, saving this kind of ghetto apartment complex from the Candyman at the end of the film. And when at the end of that movie, they kind of uh, consider her a hero of this ghetto because she destroyed Candyman and saving these people from further destruction. And I kind of got the same vibe from this movie with, with Sam basically saying they didn't do anything wrong. They're heroes. You know, they deserve our respect. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen Candyman. I, I watch it regularly. So, but I got that vibe. It's been, a, it's been a long time. I mean, I remember Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd and everything, but you know, it was a weird vibe because I mean, it's the same kind of situation. It's a ghetto in America versus a ghetto in, in London. But I kind of got that vibe where it's like the, the people that you don't think are going to be heroes end up becoming the hero. Um, and plus, yeah, the whole, the whole scene at the end when Moses is being led into the police van with Pest and they all start chanting Moses, you know, and Pest leans over to him and he goes, that's for you, man. And he's like, yeah, and just smiles as they roll the credits. I don't know. I just I kind of found it kind of cheesy. I don't know. The fact that the whole crowd is chanting Moses. I felt it was very yeah, but, kind of karate kid-esque at the end. Like, yes, he's vindicated. Well, yeah, but I told you, man, it's like I took that as a very Billy Jack, you know, yeah, for mm-hmm, the ending, yeah. where it's like, you know, we have our hero being charted off by the police, and the people around the police know that the person that's in the police van is the one who saved the block. You know, all the girls that they were hanging out with earlier, you know, they're all chanting and whatnot. And it's like, our hero goes away in chain. He's well, they the all one who yeah. went through the... No, but he's the one who went through hardship. Okay, Ron went away in chains. He was not a hero. 
He just smokes weed. I'm talking about Ron Drexel. Drexel. <laughs> they both get arrested. They didn't do anything wrong. They just like to get high. <laughs> but they're no, going away. You know, they're going away, James. Yeah, but no, but I'm saying it's like I, I like this because, like the doc said at the very beginning, is you know these are not heroes. These are not good guys. You know, and for for everything that they've done to do things right, they're still going away in chains because they still are not good guys. They might have done something right, but it's not enough to validate everything they've done wrong. And except for Biggs, who doesn't get arrested at all because he was in a dumpster. So he gets to go up with the crowd. Hey, man, they're getting arrested. But, yeah, Biggs, just go away. Run, man. Don't get arrested. Don't get included <laughs> with those guys. You know, good thing that you stayed in that fucking dumpster the entire time because you're not getting arrested. I don't know why they arrested Ron and Bremis. I guess because they were just there and the cops were just wanting to clear out the block. So that's why they arrested them. I, I, you know, no idea why they were included. I don't know either. Yeah. And why didn't yeah, they arrest the white sense. girl? Why yeah, didn't they arrest the white girl? Yeah. Huh? She, she was involved in everything blowing up. Yeah. yeah, but I think uh, why the gang was getting arrested is because they were part of the gang that she reported on. You know, she was the one that told the police about this gang that uh, robbed her. So I think that's why they were getting arrested. Why, why Ron and Bremis were going away? No idea. <laughs> they were just there. So I guess you're associated because with the was... gang. Because they were smoking weed in a big ass weed room. <laughs> well, it's well, the cops, it's still there. The cops from that weed room, they're like, "We don't know what you did wrong, but we got to arrest you anyway because this is too much pot." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll you'll be fine. You're going away. But um, the one thing I am glad about uh, with that ending of the chanting of Moses and the police van and smiles, they didn't have that little extended sequence where it's like, "Oh, there's one left," like you know, so there could be an attack the block too. It's it's a standalone, <laughs> and I think that's how it needs to stay. Like I think it's perfect as a standalone movie, and they didn't try to kind of tease that there might be a sequel. So I didn't know what you guys thought. Yeah. Like, should there have been a little tease, or are you okay with it being a standalone? I'm okay no, with I'm, it being a standalone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm perfectly fine with the final arrest, and you know Moses could come out and yell, "Talk hard," and we would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. I just I really did appreciate the fact that they didn't try to tease us that there is one alien left and you know that's gonna be attack the block too. It's like no, it's a standalone. It works as a standalone and, and like the doc had said, it's a good movie, it's a great uh it's debatable. It's a fun movie. Uh definitely different in terms of sci fi and it was a part of that British invasion that happened back in the late two thousands with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and Attack the Block, you know, where a lot of these British movies are being released in theaters. Um, but it, it's a fun one, and I was glad that the monkey picked it because it's a movie that I like talking about. Well, I'm glad you guys found it tolerable. <laughs> I'm glad everyone didn't hate on it. You know, but again, I agree with the king where it's a fun movie. What I consider it a great movie, no, but it's definitely a fun throwaway movie. Yeah, it's like a Saturday afternoon. Nothing else is on. Oh, attack the block! I'll put that on. You know, waste an hour and a half. You know, have a good time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of worried, like I told the, the monkey, that it was going to be too British for the show because <laughs> of the heavy accents, because of some of the slang that they use. You know, if you're not used to some of that slang, you might be turned off by it, which is I why no I kind of think that it. a lot of American audiences. <laughs> well, I didn't either, but that's because <laughs> I like British cinema. You know, I like British cinema, but I felt like, I don't know if, if this is going to be a hit with American audiences because it is so British. 
Like, it is very much a London movie. But, you know, because I don't know what this movie made in theaters. I don't know the final box office. But, you know, I know it was something that a lot of people were talking about back in 2010. Yeah. But either way, good choice. Um, As we close out the show, uh, I am up next week for my film pick. So instead of staying in the modern times, as we've been doing lately, uh, I'm going all the way back the 1976 y'all disco baby uh back to the 70s where i feel comfortable the 70s is a wheelhouse of mine i love 70s horror cinema i love the films that they were making at that time this is a movie that was released two years before halloween became such a hit that the slasher boom started in the golden age of horror in the 80s directed by alfred soul it's a movie called alice sweet alice aka holy communion aka holy terror and it's the wow. very first film for Brooke Shields, who was Ooh. many of a wet dream, I'm sure, for a lot of people back in the 80s. With her big-ass eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's a, a very little girl in this movie, but it is her first film role. It is a slasher that plays heavily on the religious themes of Catholicism and what it means to go to church. So... I'm only taking you to church next week. I'm also taking you back to the 70s, and I can't wait to talk about Alice Sweet Alice uh, next week on the show. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, King. That, that, that is cool. And I provided you both, and, and the ghoul, who hopefully will be back next week. I provided you all with a link in our group chat on Facebook, free on YouTube. It's a good, clean copy. Enjoy, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I do. Absolutely. And feel free to check Sounds out our good. Facebook we'll be page, looking or we'll be putting up a link too. <laughs> what are you saying, <laughs> I said, sounds good. We'll be looking forward to checking it out. I love 70s slasher movies, so that's why I said I'm going back to my wheelhouse, baby. <laughs> you know, not, I, I love modern horror movies, but I want to go back to my comfort zone. So Alice Sweet Alice is a movie that I've been wanting to talk about this show in completion for a long time, so I'm looking forward to, to revisiting it and seeing what you guys think. Uh, religious horror, slasher, it all goes in there, so Thank you so much, Doc, for joining us. I appreciate it, and looking forward to hearing what you think about Alice with Alice next week. We'll be looking forward to talking about it with great anticipation. Well, don't say that now, because <laughs> you're probably going to hate me next week. I anticipate a lot of fuck you, King, next week from everybody on the board, but hopefully it, it doesn't turn out that way, because I think it's an underrated slasher for sure. But with that said, Monkey, thank you so much for your film pick this week. I'm so glad that you're back. I love hearing the voice of the monkey back in the studio talking talking terror with us. Oh, yeah. 100% professional here on Talking Terror. But, yeah, I'm your fuzzy, <laughs> I am your fuzzy, lovely horror host, the Mad Monkey, saying thank you for listening, horror fans. And watch out for those big gorilla dog motherfuckers. Good night, everybody. It's a monkey-looking motherfucker. Uh, The ghoul is not here I know he always says stay scared So I will say it for him Stay scared And as I always end the episode Keep America strong Watch horror movies And we'll see you next week Good night folks Have a good week